0: But the work of proclaiming Jesus to the nations was given to us. And he is proclaimed among the nations. And the wonder of wonder is he's believed on. 2,000 years since Jesus left this world to go up to sit on the right hand of the Father. Over that whole period of time, God's church has grown. And 2,000 years on, we are a testimony now to that verse there. That we are... But Jesus is believed on in the world. And then Jesus is glorified. He was taken up to heaven. But what is more wonderful is one day, each and every one of us here who trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, we, despite our sins, will be washed clean, we have been forgiven, and we will be taken up to glory with Jesus. And when we're taken up to glory with Jesus, Jesus is glorified. And so we saw this is the truth that the church holds to. This is a truth that God has brought to us. This is the good news. This is the gospel. This is a mystery. 99% of the people in Cyprus don't know this mystery. And as a church, it's our role to proclaim it. And so last week we ended with the question, what do we do with this truth? What do we do with this truth? And the questions were like this. Do we believe it? Do we believe and know Jesus has died on the cross to pay the price for our sins? Do we believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do we love and hold that truth? Do we proclaim it to others? Are we living for eternity? Are we acting like a family? And so I just want to ask all of you that were here last week, how did you get on? How did you get on last week? Did you proclaim? Did you live for eternity? Did you act like family? Did you hold the truth in love? I trust the Lord helped you. Now that was at the end of chapter 3, and now we're moving into chapter 4. And chapter 4 is a message especially for Timothy. A lot of the book of Timothy is about the church. But now what Paul is doing is he's focusing in on Timothy, And so this section of the letter is particularly for ministers, for elders, for pastors. And and as we are thinking particularly about the church as a whole, I'm I'm going to go through this whole chapter in one so that we can move on to things that are more about the church. But I want you to get a sense of, of what's been said here. There are four things, four headings, four main points that we're going to note about ministers and pastors, preachers in this chapter four. And it's helpful for us because it will help you that are Christians to know how to pray for your pastors, how to pray for your elders. It will also mean that how many of you here are going to stay in Cyprus for all your lives? I didn't think so. I know that some of you are desperate to get away yesterday. (laughs) Some of you will, will, will take a bit longer, but one day you will move on. And when you move somewhere else, you're going to have to look for a church, aren't you? You're going to have to look at what church you're going to go to. So if you know what the pastor, the preacher should be like, it will help you to choose the right church. And as a church here, we want to encourage people to become pastors and elders And who do we encourage? We need to know what to look for. And that's why this passage is very, very helpful to us. But as we're thinking particularly about Paul speaking to Timothy, as we're particularly thinking of Paul speaking to ministers, we should also realize that what he is saying is for all of us. Yeah, So we can't just say, oh, we don't need that. No, this is for all of us. You see, there's four things that a minister should be committed to. There's four things that a pastor, a preacher, should be committed to from this passage. And the four things that he should be committed to, all of us as Christians need to be committed to. So the first thing we're going to see in the first six verses of chapter 4 of 1 Timothy is committed to the truth. The minister of the church, the pastor of the church needs to be committed to the truth. This passage starts and and it starts by giving the opposite of what being committed to the truth is. The opposite of being committed to the truth is departing from the faith. And and so Paul had heard, either directly through the Holy Spirit or or possibly through the words of Jesus. If if you look in the Gospel of Matthew and in chapter 24 and verse 11, Jesus is speaking. And Jesus says, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will increase, the love of many will grow Cold. And the Apostle Paul here is saying, Now the Spirit expressly says, In the latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to defeat, despiteful spirits and teaching of demons. If you think the Spirit is speaking to you and it's not telling you what's in God's Word, then it's probably not the Holy Spirit that's speaking to you. We need to test everything. And so here we have Paul saying the Spirit expressed it, and here we have Jesus saying the same thing, so we know that this is truth. And, and the truth is this, the danger is this, that people in the latter days, that's the last times, that's any time since Jesus left this world till now, until Jesus returns, we're in the latter times, there are people who are going to go off and depart from the face. Now, now at first glance, as we look at this verse here, the, 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 this passage, it doesn't seem like it's a big deal. It's talking about people who forbid marriage and people who require abstinence from foods. Now there's nothing wrong with being single. Yeah? So all you single people here can breathe a sigh of relief. Yeah? There's nothing wrong with it. You don't have to get married to be a Christian. Yeah, you don't have to not get married to be a Christian. You can be married, or you can be single. It's not a problem. That's what God's Word teaches. And and so you could think, well, what's what's, why is this a big deal? Or, or, Or giving up certain foods. There's nothing wrong to fast and give up food. The, the Apostle Paul fasted. Jesus fasted. Daniel gave up the meat and, and the nice food, as we would see it, and ate vegetables. And there's nothing wrong with that. That was that was good. So so why is there a problem with what's been said here? Well, the the problem is this. The problem is that these people became fanatical. They became obsessed by their teaching. And so their teaching was Christ plus. If you want to make heaven, they were saying you shouldn't get married. If you want to make heaven, you shouldn't eat that food. And that's when it became a problem. Because nowhere in God's word does it say that you'll only make heaven if you don't get married. Nowhere in God's word does it say you'll only make heaven if you abstain from certain foods. The big problem was this. They were teaching Christ plus something else. They were saying to be right with God, you must not be married. To be right with God, you must avoid certain foods. Friends, the only way to be made right with God is through Jesus Christ. That's the only way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, no man cometh to the Father but through me. Jesus is the only way. And if you start putting extra things on, you're not teaching the truth. And the, the passage here also goes on to say that they were teaching against creation. They were teaching against creation. Order in verse 3, it carries on and says that the, these things that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. You see, friends, when God made the world, he made it and he gave man and woman the opportunity and the ability to be married. And it's a blessing to be married. It can be a blessing to be single. It must be a blessing to be what God wants us to be. But in creation, God gave us that. In creation, God gave us all the foods there to enjoy. And you see, it's like this. If you go against creation, you're against the Creator. If you go against creation, you go against the Creator. And so how does this work out nowadays for us? Well, we see people going against creation in this kind of way. We have some churches that they, they're teaching that it's okay for a man to marry a man. It's okay for a woman to marry a woman. And it's not okay because that's going against creation. That's going against the creator. And, and some people are saying that, in actual fact, the, 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 the right way to get to heaven... The only way to get to heaven is, yes, Jesus is important, but giving tithes and offerings. Make sure you put big money in the offering, and that will make you get to heaven, we are sure. And that's a lie. And that's not a truth. And these truths, these untruths, can cause real problems. There's a danger because these lies are from the devil. The passage says here clearly that they're from deceitful spirits. They're from the demons. And these lies sear the conscience. They start off subtly. And then they sear the conscience. You know what your conscience is? Your conscience is what God has given you. And it tells you what's good and what's bad. And a lot of people know what's bad. I don't know if you've ever burnt yourself. But searing is to, to burn yourself. And if you've got a burn or a scar, that, that doesn't have any feeling. The scar tissue doesn't function like skin. It, it's, it's, you can touch. And so these lies can stop your conscience from being tender and make it not work properly. But worst of all, the danger is these lies take people away from the face. Now, you have to remember that people are not losing their face. That's impossible. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, he said, My Father who's given them to me, my Father who's has given me believers, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. If you are truly trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you know him as your Heavenly Father through Jesus, you are safe to be kept by him. But what happens? And it can happen in a church like this. There can be people here who think that they know God. They think that they can be right with God because they're in church. They might think that they're right with God because they were born in a Christian family. They might think that they're right with God because they have done this or they've done that. And they don't truly know God. And when these untruths come, when these lies come, they follow them. And as they follow those lies, they depart from the faith. They're no longer, or they ever were, part of it. And, and they're lost. And, and these lies can draw people away from the truth. And so a minister, a pastor, needs to be committed to the truth. He needs to teach the truth. He needs the truth because the truth protects him and the truth protects the church. And we need that protection. And and what you need is is a pastor and a preacher and a teacher who is committed to the truth. Because if he's not committed to the truth, he's teaching you what? What? Lies, absolutely. Lies. And are those lies going to be a blessing to you? Are those lies going to save you? No. So friends, you need to be praying that your pastors, that your teachers, your spiritual leaders are committed to the truth. But friends, we need to be committed to the truth too. You need to be committed to the truth. You need to ask God to help you to be committed to the truth so that you can be protected from the lies of the devil. A minister needs to be committed to the truth. He needs also, in verses 7 to 10, to be committed to godliness. Committed to godliness. You see, Timothy is warned not to get sucked into irrelevant and silly myths. Now, that's quite a statement, isn't it? Irrelevant and silly myths. There was... was Thinking that the only way to be right with God was by not getting married was irrelevant and it was silly. Thinking that the only way to be made right with God was by becoming a a vegetarian vegan and that's the only way to do it is irrelevant and silly. It might be a blessing to you health-wise, but it's not going to save you. Or any other idea that's out there. The only way is through Christ alone. And so these irrelevant and silly things, we we, we should not get taken in by them. And, and we all need to take this seriously because it's easy for us to get sucked into things, isn't it? And I'm sure that you've seen it with the whole COVID thing, haven't you? There's all sorts of information out there, and we think, "Was well, that true? Is that true? Is that?" And in some ways, it doesn't really matter about COVID. But you can find all sorts of misinformation and ungodliness on the internet that people are saying is true about the Christian religion. Irrelevant and silly myth. I'm going to tell you an irrelevant and silly myth right now. I had a post that came up. And this post was claiming that if you've had the vaccine, the vaccine changes your DNA, and because your DNA is changed, your name will be taken out of the Lamb's Book of Life. Because the Lamb's Book of Life apparently is connected to your DNA. Now that is irrelevant, and it's a silly myth, and it's godless. And it's not what the Bible says. But those things are out there. How do we protect ourselves from silly myths? I mean, that is scientifically incorrect, and it's also biblically incorrect, just for the record. There's no truth in it whatsoever. It's a silly, irrelevant myth, and there's lots of them. But the really dangerous ones are the ones that seem almost true. The ones that seem very close to the truth. How How was Paul... Telling Timothy to protect himself. He said, Don't get sucked into these things. He said rather train yourself for godliness. Paul would have made a good doctor. Because he didn't just diagnose the problem. He gave an answer. He gave a solution. And the solution to this is be committed to godliness. You want a minister who is committed to godliness. A minister who is training. A pastor who is training himself to godliness. If you want to protect yourselves personally from silly myths and irrelevantness. Train yourself for godliness. So often we sometimes get this in our minds, that the Christian walk is all about the negative. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other. But there's a positive here. That The positive here is train yourself. It says don't have anything to do with them. But rather than that, you put something positive in its place. It's, It's a bit like the two wolves, isn't it? Don't feed the irrelevant. Don't feed the myths. Feed the godliness. Feed that. And if you feed that, you'll be training it. Now, I think the Apostle Paul was a sports fan. I I think that if he'd been about now, he'd have liked rugby. He'd have liked cricket. He may have even liked basketball. I don't know. He would have liked it all. He liked sport. And he often uses sporting metaphors and analogies. And he's here saying, Train yourself. On a Thursday evening, there's a steady stream of people, and they go up the steps. And what they do on the way up, they stop just about there and they look in the mirror. And when they look in the mirror outside there, I know where they're going. They're going up the top because they're going to the gym and they're going to train themselves. And when they come downstairs, they stop even longer in front of the mirror. Because by that time, they're all pumped, yeah? And and they're looking particularly good. And they've been training their body, yeah? If if you want to lose weight, if you want to have muscles, you have to train yourself. If you want to be an athlete, if you want to perform in a sport, you have to train yourself. Now, Paul doesn't say that bodily training is bad. He says it's of some value. Now, why is it only of some value? Well, it's only of some value because your body dies, yes? It's only going to be a value for this life. In fact, science would tell you that if you keep yourself really fit, and if the law of averages work, you might live a bit longer. But you're not going to live forever. You could start running 5K, 10K a day. You could go up to the gym and, and do cardio and do weights, and you could be as fit as a fiddle, but you're going to die. And so that's why bodily exercise only profits you a little. But what he's saying here is train yourself in godliness because training yourself in godliness goes on. The verse tells us for this godliness's value is for this present life and for the life to come. What an investment you're making when you, when you train yourself for godliness. You're not just being, having a blessing in this life, but it's a blessing and a benefit for all of eternity. And not only that, in this life, if you're training yourself from godliness, it protects you from irrelevant and silly myths. It protects you from the lies and losing the truth. So so what does training in godliness look like? It's it's a practical outworking of of verse 7. Uh, in, in verse, no, sorry, verse 6. If you just go back there. In, in verse 6, it says that there are words of faith and of good doctrine that you follow. Now, there's two things going on here. Training yourself in godliness means that you need to get stuck into God's word. Words of faith are found in the Bible. Good doctrine is found in the Bible. Bad doctrine is found outside of the Bible. Any doctrine that you get, check it against the Bible. If it's not in the Bible, it's not good doctrine. You only want what's in God's word. And so Paul was telling Timothy, train yourself in godliness. Get stuck into God's word. If you want to, to feed the white wolf, if you want to grow spiritually, get into God's word. But he doesn't leave it there. He then goes on to say that you have followed. Yeah? That you have followed. you probably heard this before from me. There's three frogs. And they're sat on a lily leaf on a pond. Yeah? We've got a pond, water, big lily leaf. And there's three frogs on there. And the three frogs decide to jump into the pond. How many frogs on the lily leaf? Three. Because they're only decided. What you need is action. You see? And we can read God's word and it's of no blessing to us unless we act on it. Unless it becomes part of our life. And and, and striving in godliness is to read God's word and then with God's help apply it into our lives to make it happen. You see... Good, godliness comes out of the Bible. Godliness is God's standard. Godliness is what God wants of us. We don't invent the standard. God has set it out for us. And the reality is, it's hard work. It says, for this end, we toil and we strive. Some of the people that go to this gym, I know that they've toiled and strived. Yeah? Because when they're coming down those steps, they've had a legs day. And they're sort of holding on because their quads are just burning. They've toiled and they've strived. And why did they do it? Because they wanted muscles. I once played, uh, hadn't played tennis for a long, long time. I played tennis and then I went home and I, and I grabbed a cup of water and my hand was shaking. What's, what's happened? I thought I'd got Parkinson's disease or something. And I just realized that I'd been striving. I'd been toiling with my hand. I wasn't used to it. And and it is hard work. And and if you want to have a godly life, you need to work hard at it. And and friends, this is what a pastor should be. A pastor should be someone who is committed to godliness. And they should be toiling and striving and working at it. And, And why should they toil and strive and work at it? Why should we toil and strive and work at it? Because it's totally worth it. This godliness is for now and eternity. It's because we have a hope set on the living God. That's what it says there in that passage, in that verse 8. It says, because we have a hope set on the living God. There's a hope to come. And our godliness that God enables us to do pays off. So friends, we don't need lazy pastors. You need pastors that toil and strive. Strive. So pray for them. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your ministers that they will toil and strive. They will not be godly by accident. You don't have a godly life by accident. A few years ago, I had the notion of, of running a trail run. 30 kilometers it was from one mountaintop there across to another mountaintop. And I thought I could just go out and do that. I did it. It took me a long time, and it hurt. You, you need to train for those things. And, and, and an Olympian doesn't get to the Olympic Games just because he wakes up one morning and says, "I'm going to I'm going to run a a mile in less than a minute, less than three minutes, or well, three and a half minutes, whatever it is now." It takes a lifetime of dedication, and godliness is a lifetime's task. And so, friends, pray for your pastors in that lifetime task. And your pastors are there to help you in that lifetime task of becoming godly. So, we need to be committed to the truth. We need to be committed to godliness and, and a true Teacher, true pastor, a true minister needs to be committed to the work. Verses 11 to 13. It's a, it's a job that they've got to do. It's a work that they've got to do. And, and Paul sets out to Timothy and he sets out in, in two parts. He says there's a part that's your example and there's a part that's your preaching and teaching. And so often we just think that being a, a pastor, being a preacher is about the, the, the hour that they preach here. No, it's about the example. And the example comes first. The example or the life. And then the preaching and teaching ministry. Paul said to Timothy in verse 13, he said, but set the believers an example. An example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come. Devote yourselves to the public reading of the scriptures, to exhortation and to teaching. And this is it. They've got to be committed to the work. A minister needs to be committed to the work and it's first his life and then his teaching. And this is for all of us. There's there's, there's an, an area of our lives that we're told to be selfish. It's first yourselves and then it's your ministry. You need to be, and a preacher here and a pastor here, needs to be a good example. Someone put it like this. He said, those who teach their doctrine must teach by their lives. Or else they will pull down with one hand what they've built up with another. You go to the doctor's. And, and you're struggling with your health because you're overweight. And behind the doctor's desk, there is a doctor who is huge. And the doctor says to you, yes, what you need to do is lose weight. What credibility there is in the diagnosis? Well, probably a lot in the diagnosis, but what credibility is there in, he's not doing that. And, and if you have a preacher who is proclaiming God's truth, and he's saying, don't be angry, and that day you saw him earlier getting really angry at the traffic lights because someone cut him up and you saw him. You'd you think, what's going on here? The, the example and the life of the preacher is their work. Their work isn't just speaking on a Sunday. Their work isn't just having a nice little chat with you. Once in a while, their work isn't just count, their work is their life. Their life needs to be consistent with what they're saying. It says in their speech how, what they say. There's five areas that Paul gives an example to Timothy of what the good example should be. He says, your speech. Is the pastor, preacher, minister speaking correctly, righteously? The conduct, how they live if they've got dodgy deals going on on the side, if if there's strange happenings going on in their life, what is their conduct saying? They need to have love, love for for the Lord first and foremostly, but love that's seen to the believers in the church and love that's seen to the lost and love that's not showing partiality. Now, I'll like them, but I won't like them. I'll speak to them, but I won't speak to them. That's not what love is. They need a faith that's not tossed around but holding fast. They need purity. And particularly and especially sexual purity. How many ministries have been wrecked because of sexual impurity? How can a minister proclaim the purity of God's word and be committing adultery or living with another wife or whatever? The minister has to work, can be committed to his work, which firstly is his life. I think sadly nowadays there are too many men who are pastors before they know how to be Christians. The life needs sorting out first, and then they can carry on. And so... After the example, then the practical aspect of it comes in and and the preacher should be reading the scripture, preaching the scripture, teaching the scripture. A minister must be committed to reading God's word. One of the big changes that's happened in the church over the last 50 years apparently is the reading of God's word. In, in, in old days, in the past, in the UK particularly, there would have been a, a psalm, there'd been an Old Testament reading, a New Testament reading, and God's Word would have been read lots. In some churches you go now to, to nowadays, and barely is there a reading, barely is there a verse read out. And, and a minister, and if you go, if you want to find a good church, find a church where God's Word is open and read publicly. Nehemiah in the Old Testament put it like this. They had a revival and God worked. And in chapter 8 and verse 8, it said the people, they read from the book. They read from the law of God. They read from the Bible. And they didn't just read it, they gave the sense. So the people understood the reading. You see, the sermons that a preacher brings must be built on God's word. And if they're not built on God's word, they are not Preaching. It's as simple as that. They might be doing a spiritual TED talk. They might sound amazing. They could be absolutely hilarious. You could go out thinking that was incredible. But it wasn't. It's only incredible if it's based on God's word. If they're not teaching God's word, there is no point And so friends, you need to pray for your ministers that they will be totally committed to the work that they've been called to. Totally committed to being that example, living that life. Totally committed to preaching God's word, to reading God's word. And so a minister should be committed to the truth, committed to godliness, committed to the work, and lastly, committed to personal Growth. I'm a bit dated when it comes to football and football analogies. But I'm assuming you've all heard of David Beckham. I'm hoping you've heard of David Beckham. If you haven't, my illustration has gone down the drain. David Beckham was renowned at crossing the ball. Yeah? And and so for you girls, if you're not following me here, don't worry. I'll, I'll explain it very quickly. It's when the ball is kicked a long way, and if you're good at it, it lands at the feet of the other person. Yeah, And that's what Beckham could do. Every time the ball came to his foot, he would kick it, and it would land exactly where he wanted it to. That didn't happen by mistake. That happened because when he was growing up, he wanted to be the best at that. And he practised, and he practised, and he practised, and he practised, and he practised. And apparently when he was playing for Man United, he would arrive in the morning, and he would play with the squad, and he would play in the afternoon, and then in the evening when the rest of the squad went home, he would then play with the schoolboys. He was just practising all the time. And oftentimes they would have to tell him to, to leave because he'd be there with one of the other guys, the skulls or the honorees, and he would just be practicing, pinging the ball. And so when he was on the field, he made it look effortless. When he was on the field, it got there every time. And this is what the preacher is told to do. The preacher is told to practice and devote themselves to these things. A practice and a devotion. To totally give themselves to it. And why? So that all may see your progress. Timothy said, look, get on with this. You've got a task to do. And your task is to get better and better and better at this. Your sermons should be getting better. Your love for your people should be growing deeper. Your concern for them should be there. Your illustrations should be getting better. Because you should be practicing and you should be devoting yourself to it. A minister should be committed to personal growth. Now obviously the minister needs the Holy Spirit and the only way a sermon is going to connect is if the Holy Spirit works and the Holy Spirit can use bad sermons and he can use good sermons. But the onus is upon the minister here to practice these things and to devote themselves to it. And and that's why a church needs deacons. Because you don't want things to distract your pastor from devoting themselves to developing and becoming the minister that God wants them to be. They need to avoid all distraction. Some of these great athletes that go on to win Olympic gold medals... Before and in the lead-up to the Olympics, possibly six months before, sometimes a year before, they almost say goodbye to their families. And they just go away because they are totally and utterly devoted to it. Now, it would be wrong for a pastor to do that, but a pastor needs to have that same kind of mindset, that this is his role, this is his task. He needs to get better and better and better at it. So, friends, you need to pray for your ministers. You need to pray for your pastors. You need to pray that they would be enabled to practice and devote themselves. You need to be praying that you would see them progress. You see, if they progress, who else progresses? You do, don't you? You're blessed. If 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 your pastor is growing deeper in the word, if your pastor is getting better at preaching, if your pastor is delivering sermons and caring for you in a deeper and a better way, who gets the blessing? You do. So in some ways it's selfish, but it's righteously selfish to pray for your pastors. Because as you pray for them, they will be a blessing to you and to others. And so we need to pray much for our ministers. Pray that they would progress. Pray that their progression would be seen, that they would be a blessing to the church. But this passage started with a warning, didn't it? It started with a a real warning. saying in the latter times some people will depart from the face. Friends, how do you stop yourself from departing from the face? How do you make sure that you are on the right tracks? We need to follow exactly what the minister is told to follow. Exactly what Paul was telling Timothy to. If you want to avoid messing up your Christian life, you need to be committed to the truth. If you want to avoid messing up your Christian life, you need to be committed to godliness. You need to be committed to the work of doing this. You need to be committed to personal growth. This is not just for ministers. This is for all of us. The church, the church family. This is what we should be wanting for one another. Because this is what God uses to protect us. There's that fight going on in our lives, isn't there? Illustrated by the bad wolf and the good wolf. What are you feeding in your life? Are you feeding the truth? Are you feeding godliness? Are you feeding the work? Are you feeding personal growth? Because if you are slowly, slowly in time, that side of your life will grow and the wickedness will be squeezed out by God's grace. But if you're not committed to the truth, if you're not committed to godliness, if you're not committed to the work, if you're not committed to personal growth, what's going to happen? the big black dark wolf is going to grow, to use that illustration. And it may be, it may be that if nothing else happens and nothing changes, the warning in verse 1 will happen to you. You may leave and lose and not follow the face anymore. And so what we have here is two things. An exhortation for the ministers and for us to pray for them. But also there's a very strong application to yourself. And what you need to be asking yourself right now if you're a Christian is, are you committed to the truth? Are you committed to godliness? Are you committed to the work and working these things through? Are you committed to personal growth? And if you are, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit will enable you to achieve it. Amen.